Hey, this episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by MXR Bass Innovations. MXR has been a leader in guitar effects for over 45 years. MXR Bass Innovations creates bass effects pedals from the ground up, each one specifically designed for bass players by bass players. Not repurposed guitar pedals, but their overdrive, fuzz, EQ, preamp DI, octave, distortion, compressor, or chorus, these tried and true stomp boxes are designed by Dunlop's award-winning team of bassists and engineers. Go to jimdunlop.com and check out MXR Bass Innovations for your bass effects. What's up, my friends? Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks, the place for all of us bass freaks to chat it up, gain a little insight and inspiration, and have some fun. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and today we have Mr. Eric Smith. Round of applause. There he is. He's played with uh, many, 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 many people. Janet Jackson, Rihanna, right? Layla Hathaway. He's a musical director. Got your own group. I mean... So many, yes, sir. too many to mention right now. How are you doing, man? I'm blessed, man. No complaints whatsoever, man. I've been actually enjoying the pandemic, believe it or not, because, you know, I've been able to, to be home. I didn't realize how fast I was going, you know, like my whole career has just been like tour, 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 tour from one tour to the next without many dead spots. So it's actually been cool just to relax, spend time with my family, hang out with my dog, you know, all that stuff, man. Man, that's uh, same thing for me. Uh, I and a lot of people I've been talking to lately that do what we do. Uh, it's sort of the same, same thing. It's like a double-edged sword. You know, you so much quality time, and and you have time to be able to do things that you haven't had right. time to do. Right. And you, you kind of, at least for me, take a few things for granted. You know what I mean? Being out there, go, 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 all the time. Absolutely. Same, same thing for you. Absolutely, man. It's like you know, just just that quality family time, you know, spending time with the wife, man, doing stuff at home, like, you know, home improvement stuff is not not even a thing that like, you know, you can't afford to do it, but it's like doing it yourself is just more of an appreciation. Like, like I painted my studio, you know what I mean? A little simple <laughs> stuff like that, you know, did it myself. And it's like, it's, it's just cool just being able to be handy and, you know, do stuff here. So that's been yeah, cool. That's awesome. Let's talk about your history, man. Tell me about uh, how you started. Okay. Well, I started playing in church with my dad. Um, he had a quartet group called the Soulful Sons of Zion, which I started on drums. I was playing drums at about five years old. Awesome. And, me too, man. Me too. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I, I feel like that gives most bass players an edge just from a pocket perspective. You know? Yes, sir. Yeah, I so, totally agree. Yeah, man. Yeah. All so right those on. of you that don't play drums... Start, nah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so I started on drums and around 12 years old, I started getting interested in bass, but you know, I wasn't playing yet. And I bought my first bass when I was in high school at 15 years old. And from there, I just started like, just playing all the time, man. Like I was really into stuff like commission, you know, gospel stuff and the wine and, you know, more contemporary stuff. Even though I grew up playing quartet stuff with my dad, I just gravitated more towards the contemporary gospel stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't realize, you know, cause like honestly playing the Cortez stuff, I would be so bored, man. Just like, cause it's just so repetitive. But yeah. I didn't realize that it was giving me such a crazy foundation. You know what I mean? That I didn't get it to later in my career. It's like, okay, so when you can play a groove, the same thing over and over for five, for five minutes and never get bored with it. 
and the longer you play it, it just gets thicker. You know what I mean? So, right. um, so I feel like that definitely helped, man. So that's awesome. And that's actually a good point. I mean, if you can do it and make it feel good for that long, yeah, you know, that's a feat and that's, that's something that's, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man. Actually, it's like, I, I feel like anything else, like, I, I don't know. I always use this analogy. Like, I don't know if you ever made grits, you know? Um, I haven't, but I tried them for the first time very recently. Okay. Yeah. What'd you think? <laughs> I loved them. I loved them. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. That's another, that's another show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. So basically the process of making grits is super simple. So you boil water, right? Yeah. So while the water is boiling, you add the grits, but you don't add a lot of them. So you don't need to, to fill the water up until it's just white. You just add them. And so what happens is the longer you stir it, it's like they swell up. So it gets thicker. The longer you just keep stirring, you're not adding anything else. You're not adding no salt, no nothing, just like the grits in the water. But the longer you stir it, it's just like you see it getting thicker. And that's that's what I think about a groove. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, so yeah. bass and drums can play the same thing like for five minutes, but you'll notice even if you're if you're in the audience listening at it, it's just like after a while you just like, yeah, you know what I mean? Because you like everything around it might be turning like you know keys might do a crazy line or horns or the guitar, but in the bass and drums can be doing the most simple thing like and add nothing, not even like to do the same thing over and over again. So, so I think my roots gave me discipline and, you know, especially like, you know, if you remember like James Brown stuff, man, it's like, you would get fined if you moved. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I've heard so, those yeah. stories. Yeah, man. So. All right. That's awesome, man. So do you, you think that, um, with what you do now, are you still, using that sort of approach absolutely and i think one of the reasons is so I'm, I'm i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna give people a whole bunch of nuggets in this one so my first arena tour was in 94 right okay. so i had done done some stuff before that like my Who first was that with tevin campbell okay so tevin campbell did a tour with babyface and boys to men and that's ah. when in 94 you know the 90s that was like babyface a big era where like everything he was doing was a hit basically so right. So, you know, him and Boys to Man, they co-headlined the tour. And Babyface, bass player at the time, Reggie Hamilton, who, like, I mean, he doesn't even know how much this one conversation just impacted me as a player. So so him and a keyboard player, they basically came up to me like, yo, man, man, you're, you're incredibly talented, but you got to change your way of thinking. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, because, man, you're killing, but you never play the same thing twice. And it's so loud, like you're playing so loud on stage that they're turning you down in the house. And so it's almost like you're playing for the for the people on stage and like, and when you plan notes that are fast, it's not translating out there. It just sounds like like mud. Right. So, so they're like, yo man, learn how to play the record and make the record feel good. Work on, work on your tone and realize that less is more because in arenas, bass doesn't translate. Right. You know, so, so it's like, it's a difference. I mean, it's just broken down. Like there's a difference between club, church, theater, arena, stadium. You have to approach them all differently. So, and then then one of the things, the main things he told me is like, you know, if you learn how to play 
you know, whatever you, whatever you do in, in rehearsal, find something that works and play the same thing every night. Because what happens is you limit your mistakes because it's muscle memory. And then secondly, as musicians, sometimes we might play things that we think are great, but it throws the artists off because they never heard it before. Uh, you know what yeah. I mean? So so just try to find find something that everybody's comfortable with and just beat it up every night and like that'll sustain your career. And honestly, that was the best advice that, I, that I've ever received in my life. That's amazing that they they can approach you like that and that you huh. actually took it in. Right. You see what I think the difference between like the the young musicians of this era as opposed to like when I was that age, these musicians will take it as like, oh, you're hating or or you're just saying that because you can't play it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that, that kind of stuff. It. And so yeah. I'm like, well, one of the reasons that you probably playing all that amazing stuff is because you're playing it at home. Oh, yeah. You have a, you have a lot of time. You have a lot of time on your hands. So but for the working musician, you want to find the formula that works. And to me, it's like, especially with the type of stuff we're doing, we're doing pop music. So there's so many tracks going on anyway, that a lot of times if you start over playing, you're just going to cloud the mix. Right. You know, as opposed to like, you know, I, I want to be felt, you know, I want to be felt and heard, you know, but it's like a lot of times people, I mean, there's so many amazing bass players out here that I'm just like looking at on social media, it's like, whoa, you know, <laughs> but unfortunately, unless you're doing a record, like, and you're doing like smooth jazz festivals, you can't implement that stuff in real, in real situations. Right. In most cases, now there are some, some um, MDs that just let the band go crazy. And, but if you look at the big scope of things, you know, like the, um, like even like the Adam Blackstones, you know, of, of the world. Him. So um, Adam's amazing, man. He's, um, he's one of my favorite MDs to work with. And he's, he's so bad as a bass player that most people forget just because you know him as an MD now, but right. he's an amazing bass player, bro. Like an amazing yes. bass player. So, yes. but I, I see the way that, that he MDs or whatever, and everybody has their own lane, you know? And so, but collectively everybody's playing parts and you have to know what your part is. And if, if you start stretching out, I mean, he's going to call you out on it. Like, yo, nah, bro, you got to, you got to play the part. You know, we a band. So, so the first time somebody said that to you, aside from, from Reggie coming up to you, um, mm -hmm. were you offended or, or if somebody, you know, it sounds like you were taking constructive criticism very well and you used it to your advantage, which yeah. is what we should all try to do. Absolutely. Um, but were there moments where you're like, oh, well, like you said, like, oh, you're just hating because you can't play it. Was right. there ever, is there ever that part inside of you where you're like, you know what? No. <laughs> no. Well, you know, I've never, I've never been the type of person that, you know, I get a fanatic skin. So, and I mean, you know, it's like anything else. You can, you can tell if somebody's telling you something to love or yeah. if you're just trying to be a jerk, you know what I mean? It's just like, I mean, you can, you can say one thing to your, to your wife or whatever, and depending on how you say it, it's going to be how she takes it. You know, now you could be like, hey, babe, um, hey, let's let's start taking walks together. You know, like when you get off work, let's just, you know, maybe get a couple miles in or whatever. Like, OK, babe, that could be like a bonding thing. Right. Or you could be like, babe, you know what? You're getting a little fluffy. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So she's going are to take that. Are way. you calling me fat? Absolutely. So I hear you, I mean, man. It's, it's all it's, it's all about communication. Yeah. And um, really knowing what the ultimate goal for each situation is. Right. It, um. 
so let's go back though to to where you started because you you were playing with your dad right and um from there where was your first pro gig she lee yeah I Sheila love escovito Sheila. man bruh that was um how old were you ah oh, so wait i want to say wait a minute 20 maybe okay yeah was that 20 somewhere away so no i was 21 right on you know i was 21 man so uh she had an audition in la which was like a cattle call man so so people thought that it's like hey man you need to go audition. I'm like, man, I can't, I can't play with Sheila. You know, I, I mean, I didn't think that I was that good because I'm, I've always been the type of bass player that never arrogant, never, never overconfident. You know, just like, I'm like, you think I could do that gig? He's like, bro, you'll kill that gig. I'm like, all right, so go down to the audition, and as soon as I get there, you know, Sheila's like, I heard so much about you. You know, can't wait to hear you. But I'm looking around, and when I tell you every bass player that I've ever seen on like. Arsenio Hall, David Letterman, Jay Leno, it's like late night TV. All these dudes are there for the audition. I'm just like, I might as well go home. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, Were you I'm nervous? Like, that's an understatement. Okay. That's that's an understatement. I mean, it's like How did you how did you deal with that at that moment? Okay, so so what happened was so Chucky Booker was actually helping Sheila run her audition. And so Chucky knew about me through like my closest friend outside of my brother, um, Derek Allen from Sacramento, DOA, like the funkiest dude on the planet. I mean, Derek is so bad on bass, man. And so, so Chucky knew about me through Derek. So me, um, me and my brother go to the audition and we're outside listening to a few people play. And I'm just like, oh my God, man. It's like, I'm never getting this. So Chucky comes out during one of their breaks. He was like, yo, man, I can't wait to hear you. And, um, and my brother's like, man, this dude, this dude's scared, man. He want to go home. He, and Chucky's like, man, what you talking about for what? <laughs> and I was like, man, these dudes are here killing, you know? Then he goes, all right, what do you what are you hearing from out here? I was like, uh, just a bunch of dudes killing. He said, all right, do you hear anybody playing pocket? I was like, no. He said, okay, come in and do that. You'll be fine. Huh. And I'm like, okay. So that kind of like eased some of my my nerves. So when they finally called me, I mean, I had listened to no BS, bro, a good 20 plus bass players. Already. Oh, wow. It was a, a real cattle call, like all day. Yeah. Thing. Oh, wow. So, so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go in here and just make this stuff feel good. And so, so I was so nervous though. Like I was shaking, trying to plug my bass in. So I had to hold my hand, you know, literally. I've been so, there, man. <laughs> so, so now I'm having an argue, argument with myself. Like, okay, do I got to just like vibe out super hard and do all this, you know, rocking and moving? Or is the plan most important? So I'm like, okay, let me try to get a happy meeting or whatever. So, so I just started vibing off her. And I noticed that initially, as soon as I started playing, like her face changed. She was like, so, but I'm just, I'm just playing pocket at that point. And so... She'll come by and say, like, give me something. And then I'll just throw something in there, maybe like a bar along and get out. And I saw that she was, every time I did something, she was like, woo, you know, started like <laughs> giving me the stink face. Yeah. So then I, then I relaxed. I was like, okay, cool, cool. And so it literally got to a point where she would let any of the bass players come in. 
she was just started like, okay, I want this keyboard player, this guitar player, and this drummer, you know, but Eric, I want you to stay, you know? So, so um, every time that happened, it, I was just like, okay, I'm about to get this gig, you know what I mean? And so I started getting confident at that point. And so, but I just went there playing church, honestly. Yeah. I just, just, I mean, cause the song that she had everybody playing was um, Love Bazaar. So, okay. and you know, that song literally is two notes. Goes from G to G to E. With like drops, drops here and there. Uh-huh. But I'm talking about. I'm hearing cats in there. Just, just going crazy. So yeah. when I, when I knew I had to gig about maybe like the fourth band that she let me play with. Uh-huh. I pulled out my pick, you uh-huh. know? So, so I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna try something different. So, um, so instead of just stand on the G, I just did a bass line like, I played that. So literally when I started playing that, the whole room, it was like somebody hit a home run. Oh. It's like, because I, should, cause I changed all the other hands, I was like, Whoa! I was like, nice. okay. And so then she said, give me some. And I just did a, a Prince lick off the record. And right back to the bass line. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so that's literally how I got that gig. That's awesome, man. I bet that was the uh, best feeling in the world at that moment. When you're at uh, the end of that audition, just feeling extremely confident in yourself and you're playing and proud, proud moment. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and crying like a baby at the same time is like so happy, like just like like wow, man. When I started playing, playing professionally was never on my radar. It just happened. Okay, you know what I mean, it's like yeah. I'm not I'm not one of those bass players. that's just like, man, I want to get good so I can go on tour. I was totally fine playing at church. Ah, like, totally like totally cool just playing with my playing with my family. But when people instilled in me like, yo, man, you can actually do it. That's when you know audition and from literally from that gig is where all the networking happened. You know, like people see you on that, just like, yo man, hey, what are you doing between this time and this time? Hey man, can I get your number? You know, I got a situation. And so literally that's my whole career, just like that. So so for people that are listening and bass players that are trying to get out there and do their thing and tour with people and do what you do and what I do, how do you approach networking and how would you recommend people do it? Well, I think, especially right now, social media is your best friend, you know? Um, and so, like I said earlier, you see a lot of people posting videos with, you know, just showing like a lot of information, you know, like people just like doing a lot of noodling. To me, that's going to show people that you're talented, but it's not going to show MDs that you know how to play a song. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. I think as much as you do all that other stuff, I'm not, I'm not discouraging anybody from, you know, showing people that you have that kind of facility, but I think it's just as important as you play songs that you're playing a song, just making it feel good. You know what I mean? It's like, and whatever that means, you know, like make songs feel good and just like keep posting, 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 you know, um, whatever your favorite songs, even, even play stuff that you don't like stuff that you might not even normally play. You know what I mean? It's like, just say if you're a pop player and you're like, yo man, I'm about to get on this Metallica joint. You know what I mean? And so, cause you never know who's going to see that like, yo, Hey, how do I get in touch with this kid? He's dope. You know what I mean? So um, I think that's important, man. It's like, and even stuff like 
the main thing I say, a lot of times people will like, just say if you have your, your regular club gig right at home. So, and it can be in Mobile, Alabama, and there could be seven people there. I mean, you have to act like one of those people can change your life. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So to me, you can't ever get into a situation where you get bored and you don't respect the music anymore. You just start going for blood. And so, matter of fact, I'm gonna tell you this other story. Swear to God, true story. So I'm out with Rihanna at this at this point in my career, you know, but I had a break in between my schedules. So I got called for this um, for this gig at home. So I'll never forget, man, we're playing D'Angelo's version of Feel Like Making Love, right? Uh-huh. And so so we got to the um to the vat where you just stand on the E. And so, man, man, we vibing on this part for a good 10 minutes. So <laughs> so I, I literally have my eyes closed. I'm just like, right? And so you know how you, how you can kind of feel like somebody's like looking at you or whatever? Uh-huh. Hey, do, uh, do I open my eyes? Michelle and Diego Cello is standing right next to me just like, oh. I had no idea she was even there, bro. Wow. Like she's just like like next to me just vibing. And so do we take a break? And she's just like, oh my God, like I would love to work with you or whatever. It's like, you know, can we change information or whatever? So so we talked a few times, but it didn't work out just because my schedule wouldn't allow it because at the time I'm literally on retainer with Rihanna. So okay. I couldn't really take any outside work. But the, the moral of that story is just say if I'm a bass player that really needed some work and I didn't have any and just say if I was in there going for blood, she would have left. Uh, you know what I mean? But the yeah. fact that I was playing something that she dug, she wanted to um to get to work with me. And you know, so I look I look at that story like, yo, man, that could be anybody. You know what I mean? And so you have to always remember that somebody can be there that you're not even tripping off of. <laughs> you no. Know? Um, yeah. yeah. So, and that's that's how I end up doing a um a Garth Brick session too, because Garth was at a show with Justin. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, so... I didn't know you did that. That's very cool. Yeah, I came to Nashville for like three days. Right on. Yeah, so um, matter of fact, me and me and JT's drummer, Brian Frazier-Moore. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. so... Okay, so let's, let's talk about approach then. Like, from doing, say, the Rihanna gig okay. to going to do a Garth Brooks session, it's mm-hmm. obviously not the same uh, genre of music. Right. But how, how do you change your approach or do you change your approach or do you go in as you? Well, see, that's a good question. But what Garth wanted at the time, he's like, I'm trying to merge pop with country. Ah, so okay. so like he literally had songs that he just sung into his phone, you know, that had no music or whatever. So he wanted to create something like, OK, um, let's see what we come up with. So me and Brian would just go in and start, you know, vibing. And then they built around it. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. So it was, so it was actually creative. That's absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, okay. It was like the, the whole the whole thing was a writing session. So right on. So I didn't so I didn't really feel like I had to change hats, if you will. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So because he called us would you though? Absolutely. Don't say say you're going in just to play, you know, one five on yeah <laughs> in a country tune or something. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm gonna do exactly what the music calls for. No. Yes. Okay. I don't I don't have a percent of an ego. Got you. And again, I won't get I would never get bored. Right. Never. Like I did a gig, Tony Rich Project, a long time ago. Uh-huh. Um, and I thank God for that gig because that gig was so dumbed down. 
I mean, I'm talking about there are songs that just like boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba ba boom, whole song. Okay. And you got to play those notes and make them feel good. How do you keep it fresh? Because I love music, and I'm and I'm gonna look in the crowd, and somebody's gonna vibe with me just playing that simple stuff. Yeah. And so I'm gonna pick somebody out in the crowd, just like, hey, good boom, good boom, good boom, good boom. Hey, man, it's like, how could you get bored when you're doing something that you love to do? Man, that is a great attitude and a great outlook. Yeah, I mean, man, look at like this, bro. Like, like I'm born and raised in Oakland, and there's people that are from Oakland that have never left Oakland. I'm talking about like never left the city, not let alone the state. Hey man, we've been able to travel the world playing music, uplifting people, man. And it's like, and, and I always look at stuff like, dude, there's somebody in the crowd that maybe had thoughts of, of killing themselves. You know what I mean? And so maybe something that happened during that show, they felt some kind of love that made them want to, want to keep living or you know, especially with all the racism stuff that's going on in the world, you know, you have people of all nationalities just enjoying, you know, I mean, it's just like a, a conversation of love that's happening or whatever. So nothing, all that other BS that you felt when you were outside, it don't matter while we're in here. So right. I look at it like that, man. It's like, and that's why I would never, you know, not take a picture. I would never not, not sign an autograph. You know, I would never not respond to somebody that hits me on social media because, um, I just think it's important, man. It's like because I don't I don't put people on pedestals. I look at fans, artists, crew. Matter of fact, I spend more time with the crew than anybody because I feel like you guys work harder than any of us. Your first ones here, last one to leave. So that is the truth. Yeah. Props to the crew, always. Always. And it's a beautiful thing though, um, music. I mean, it's it's just universal. You can go anywhere in the world. Yep. And you're going to find music and you're going to find some of the same music. Right. Just everywhere. You know, I, I, it always blows me away when you go to a different country and, and people are singing your songs or the songs that you played on or the song that you're just up there jamming or even if you're a fan of a song and they're vibing with you and it's right. It's an amazing feeling. Absolutely, man. And some people want to take it out of schools. What? <laughs> Music, yeah, that's, music education, man. Now I'm a advocate for that. Absolutely. Do Do you realize how how much different the world was before they took music out and before they took like prayers out of school and you know that kind of stuff? And like to me, it's like there was a little more foundation. You know what I mean? It's like because now it's just like you have kids that are bored. You know, it's like yeah. what do we do now? It's like okay. Most kids will play basketball after school or whatever, but maybe you're not the athletic kid. Maybe you're the nerd. Yeah. So hey, I, I tell you what, music kept me out of a lot of trouble, uh, and I started absolutely. doing it very young. And if I didn't have that, I, I thank my family uh, for for helping me and supporting me and all of that always. But um, right. if I didn't have that, I'd be in a lot more trouble than I ever got into. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I honestly, I think I would have been good either way, just because I had parents that were like like literally growing up i was scared of them i wasn't scared of the police (laughs) (laughs) i mean for real because i'm like okay if if i do this i'm going to get dealt with by multiple people when i get home so i don't want that rap so we'll be good (laughs) yeah yeah so you know 
having having a good support system and and good parenting is key as well. Absolutely. Um. So from, let's see. What do you think you learned from that very first gig? Actually, from that very first Sheila E audition to now in all of your career, what is the how do you think it helped you move forward from that very first one? Is there anything in particular aside from all the stuff? I mean, you've been throwing out some awesome advice and, uh, life lessons, but, um, was there one thing in particular that from that first day to now that you've learned and maybe that you've changed or how you've changed your approach a little bit? Well, I honestly think that being different, is so special because one thing that I noticed even at the audition, it's almost like, it was like somebody said, going in, going in there, like she wants somebody that's gonna go for blood. So you better do that. So everybody literally went for blood. Right. So if I go in there going for blood, what's gonna make me stand out? She's been, she's been hearing that all day. You know what I mean? So, uh-huh. so to me, you gotta have a thumbprint. And so, and, and what I mean by that, think about it. As soon as you hear a song, you know it's Marcus Miller. And if it's not Marcus, you know somebody trying to sound like Marcus. Right. So I think that that kind of thing is like, you know, and I think I think Daryl Landers from the bottom of my heart, man, because he's one of the people that that helped me develop a sound, you know, because early on I didn't realize how important it was. You know, so yeah, like yo, man, you gotta you gotta learn how to slice through a PA. So cut some of those lows on stage because because you know, being a young musician. You're thinking like, okay, I got two 410 cameras behind me. How's this <laughs> going to compete with this big PA in this arena? You know what I mean? Yeah. But they're like, man, you'll be surprised because when you hit a low note, like even if they turn the PA off, you hit a low note and you hear that same note three seconds later. Yes. You know, so like cut them lows down, cut your bass down on stage, let them cut you up in the house, you know, that kind of stuff. And just like, okay, less is more. Period. Less is more. And I think the order that I've gotten um, I've adapted that even more, you know, so like, man, make sure that your tone is killing and whatever you play, make sure that they're going to hear it. Yeah. I, I try to make every note count, you know, so like every note, nothing, nothing excessive. Like you're never going to hear me play and think like, wow, that was a bit much. Nah. Nope. I, I guess it's more important for somebody to leave saying like, yo, the band was super tight as opposed to somebody like, yo, man, you were killing Right. Um, Cause that's gonna make me feel like I overplayed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess it's kind of like a team sports when you're working I, in a band situation. So are you in basketball? I am. Yeah. Uh, okay. Do you remember when the Lakers had Shaq, Kobe, Derek Fisher, Rick Dream Fox, team. and yeah. yep, Robert Ory? Yeah. Remember they went up against the Detroit Pistons with no All Stars on paper with Chauncey Billups, um, Rip Hamilton, Ben Wallace, Tayshawn Prince. And literally, they should have got swept, but they the Lakers won one game because Robert Horry hit that that lucky shot at the buzzer. <laughs> but what that showed me is like, wow, you have a team over here full of all stars that are playing ISO ball, but then you got Detroit Pistons come in playing a team like, okay, we're going to shut Kobe down, we're gonna we're gonna guard him um, straight up, and we're gonna let somebody, um, you know, Shaq is going to get his, but nobody else will beat us. Right. I think I think the band is the same thing. It's like, yo, man, and that's that's why you have people like the Roots, you know. Like I went to a show. That's the only show that I can recall in my whole life that had me on my feet from first song to the last. Okay. 
Okay. Literally, my the whole and I wasn't familiar with any of their music because I went there to see my friend who was playing with Outkast. Oh, okay. But the Roots was on that show, and like, man, I was just like, you know, it. That's. I mean, having speeches like I am now, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I'm like these dudes are killing, man. You know, so, so yeah, that's that's how I want to um, approach music, and like, when I'm no longer doing it, that's how I want to be remembered. Like, yo, man, man, his feel was crazy. You know, so that's important, man. Yeah. Let's talk about gear. What do you What are you playing? What's your go to bass? Man, I have a Marco five string. That's like. That thing cuts through a PA like like crazy. So I, I have a, I have a few bases that I love. So my old Lakeland, I have a um a very old Lakeland that I got in like '96. Okay. Still killing. Um, five. But then it's five. But like my probably my favorite base that I own is my '66 Jazz. Woo! Do you take that yeah. out with you? It depends on what I'm doing. Like I've taken it with Layla because I'm carrying it myself. Okay. But but on big tours, never. Got it. Just be just because I've literally seen someone's vintage Les Paul get the whole headstock snapped off <sighs> because it dropped, and so you can't you can't repair that. Right. You know, so I have a '66 and a '78 that are both killing. You know, so I use those on a lot of sessions, but I don't really take them out as much, unless, like I said, if I'm carrying it on my back. You know? Okay. But unfortunately. The um, the pop gigs, like a Janet, for instance, I can't take it even if I'm carrying it because that song, a lot a lot of those songs were done on key bass, right? And so I need a B string. So um, even if I wanted to switch, like like once we start the show, we're playing like seven songs in a row before we get any breaks, so I don't have time to switch. So uh huh, okay. So um, when you're when you're the mu- a lot of the music that you're doing. Um, you are actually playing key bass lines, right? Right. Are you are you actually playing key bass a lot of the times, or are you are you just mimicking the line with the? Well, I do both. Like I, I would say on Janet, it's about, I'll say like forty five percent key bass, fifty five percent bass. Okay. Yeah. Because you know, know the... J- Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, a lot of that stuff, like um, Pleasure Principle. Man, I would have Carpet Tunnel trying to play that on bass. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's moving so much. So I'm just like, yeah, gotta play yeah. bass, kind of play key bass on that. Are there instances where you have to sort of adapt the two? Kind of if they don't have, you know, you playing key bass where you you're handling the line? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Cool. Definitely. Um, is there a, is there a, anything you want to add to how you approach that? Or is I mean, I really think that it depends on the song and the kind the kind of patch that was used on the key bass because if it's like really subby it's kind of hard to to translate that on bass you know what i mean yeah but, um but there's definitely songs that that were done on key bass like um even like anytime any place you know that's pretty much done on key bass but i'm able to get around on that that on bass and like even if it's like something kind of subby yeah. i can just cut cut some of the highs and you know roll off some of the high mid you know that kind of thing so um I mean, it really just depends on the song because I prefer to play bass the whole show. If right. I had if I had it my way, I would never play key bass. But me too. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I like stuff. the bass. We are bass freaks. I would say. <laughs> yeah, love it. What about amps? Man, dig. So I haven't used an amp on tour in years. Really? 
Just yeah. direct? Yeah, because what happens is, you know, with pops, you know, creative directors and uh, choreographers, they're just like, you know, we like a clean stage. We don't yes. like all the stuff. So so what happens is, I'll, like I use the um, pleasure board um, by Tech Amp, okay. which is pretty much a, um, a sub, like a platform that I stand on that gives me, you know, the lows or whatever I feel in my feet. I haven't and, heard um, of that. Okay. Oh, man, you got to get hit, bro. Like, real talk, it changed my life. And so what we don't realize as bass players, a lot of times we play loud, not yes. even so much to hear it, but to feel to it. feel it, exactly. You know? So, but when you're using in-ears, especially if you have a really good monitor engineer that can make your bass sound and feel how you want it in your ears, and then he gives it to you in your feet too, ridiculous. So I have to check that out. Yeah, but when I'm home, do I have a low-fat rig? Low-fat? Are you hip to those? No, no. Man, this, this cat in LA, Paul Tidwell, builds okay. them. So um, I have a, a cabinet that has a 212, a mid-range, and a tweeter. And it's a tube head that's, that's designed by Demeter. Oh, Man, nice. listen. Killing. <laughs> like, it's absolutely killing man i like that's what is that's it about probably, it that that give me a little bit more on it okay super articulate right okay. i mean yeah. it's like i can i can make it smooth jazz or ampeg nice you know like so i it's mean versatile you can, yeah you can literally color that thing because see that's my problem with a lot of amps like some amps sound too hi-fi you know yes. it's like just sounds too like crystal clean that's cool if you can get that but what if what if i'm doing a gig where I got to play my P bass with, with flat wounds on it. And I just wanted something that's dirty. I wanted to be able to do that as well. So, so there's a, there's a presence knob on it that, you know, and there's a tube volume. So, I mean, that, that, that thing is just like really versatile to me, you know? Um, but before that, the last amp that I used on tour was um, tech amp. No, what am I saying? TC electronic tech amp is the pleasure board, but um, I had a TC electronic rig with a, um, at the blacksmith head, two 14 cabinets and I learned my way around that thing and I was killing, but for my, um, I think that they went out of business though, if I'm not mistaken in terms of their base department. Okay. Yeah. So, but the low fat stuff is, is what I use primarily. Very cool. That sounds mm -hmm. amazing actually. Yeah. No, look them up. L O P H A T. Okay. I'm going to actually write that down. Very cool. What about strings? Dunlop man. Me too. Cheers Super to bright. Cheers Super to bright. That. Right yeah. And, and what's funny is like, I mean, I don't have a a preference between the nickels or the stainless. I mean, oh, yeah? I, I like I like them both. I think I do too. I I yeah. I, I enjoy the stainless, but I, I I like them both. Yeah. You know. Now are you are you, do you like more of the bright stuff or or no? Uh I am using the super brights. Okay. So um and I can, you know, you can get them to sound how you need them to sound, but they feel great to me. So yeah, and my like, I change my strings a lot though. My me my too. strings my strings have to be fresh. Like literally, my tech. The after every show or after every other show. Uh, we do every show. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, man. So, so Duro, don't you dare talk about. I order too much strings. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl. <laughs> now Daryl's great, man. He always accommodates. No, I'm just messing nah, with they're they're all awesome over there, especially Daryl. What yeah, uh, you have one piece of gear that inspires you the most? 
My 66, probably. Yeah. Like, hey, man, that thing just speaks. Like, literally, no matter what I'm playing, it's like, it's crazy. Well, not only do you have the tone, but you got the history in your hands. You know? Yeah, so how, so how about this? So my cousin, his dad bought him that bass in 66. Wow. Yeah, so he was the original owner, and, um, you know, his dad passed, you know, years ago, you know, rest in peace. And so Duro started playing five strings. So literally this bass was just in his closet for like probably 20 years. And so I'm like, Duro, man, let me put some use to that thing. He's like, man, I can't, man. I, you know, sentimental, you know, the first bass my dad ever got me. And, but I promised him that I would never sell it. And so I was able to talk him out of it. I gave him some stuff for it. I gave him like a nice rig and some, and some stuff. So um, I'm like, bro, it's just sitting in the closet. You know, if you ever want to play it, let me know. I'll get it to you. But, um, and people have offered me a lot of money for that bass. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> like, no, somebody was like, man. Do you have it with you? Can I see it? Yeah, hold on. Let me see that thing. Can you describe it just a little bit? Okay, well, um, this bass had already been kind of um, modified. So the original pickups weren't in here, but I put Aguilar 70s wound. Okay. With a Sadowski Pre. Ooh. That is pretty. That is pretty. Man, and it's the original color. They, they didn't make that many of these. It's a, um, it's a ruby or brown. Oh. Yep. And see, it's like the, the back isn't molested or anything. So, but there is a preamp under the pig guard. Very cool, man. But hey, man, like every time I play this thing, Castle, like, dude, what? How's your bass sound like that, man? Is, <laughs> is it your amp? Is it? I know it's, it's, it has to do something with your fingers, too, man, but your tone is still. Like, I get more compliments on my tone than anything. Like, people talk more about my sound and my plan. That's, well, I think they go hand in hand, but that's awesome. Yeah, but you know, again, people like Daryl, man, it's like it's important. For sure, for sure. All right. Hang on one sec. Oh, is there a riff that you would recommend bass players to learn? If there was one riff, what do you think they should play? And just play uh, it over and over and over again. One riff. Oh wow. I know it's a it's a broad, hard question, but like is is there something that like that everybody should know. Um, yeah, like a line. I think, do I do, maybe? Stevie. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. especially like if, if you're someone that gets called for like those corporate parties, you know, because um, that stuff, man, it's, you got to know Stevie, you got to know, you know, just the whole Motown era in, in general, you know what I mean? So I think, think that's, that, that learning that tune is going to help them as a bass player? Development, yeah. practicing, um, you know, phrasing, all of that. Absolutely. And then um, in terms of like, if you can, if you can learn a song, like just say, um, what's going on, Marvin Gaye? If you mm. can learn that verbatim, hey man, he's playing and do I actually have that session? You have it? Oh, uh, you got to send that to me. Easy. Easy. That would be hey, awesome. Hey man, I have that session, bro. Like to listen to Jamerson, like isolated and, and what's funny is like, you know, I think as bass players now, we feel like, you know, just learning how to play perfect. But Jamison wasn't perfect at all. A lot That's of stuff what gave was, him his identity though. It was like, 
I I I have tried to mimic some of those lines mm-hmm. verbatim, right? And it's too pretty. It's too perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. So so you got you got to try to split your brain. It's like okay, um, not saying that he was sloppy because he wasn't. No. But it just wasn't perfect. But that's that's where his pocket was. And so I mean, and he's one of the most recognized bass players ever. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, he's he's. The reason behind a lot of that Motown sound. So, you prefer Jameson or Jocko? You know what? I don't really have a preference. I think that that you know, music is like a, a big language that we all to speak differently. You know what I mean? So, so like I would never be that that guy that gets into the like oh, he's better or, or that person's better. I think I'm just that, trying to get you in trouble, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but but the the fact the fact that you can even make that statement just says that they're both great. Absolutely. You know, and um, yeah. but I think what I think with Jocko, like, okay, man, let me ask you a question. All right, so if Jocko didn't play any chops, would you still think he's as great? Take take away any chop that he's that he's ever played, like take away Donnelly, take away Team Town. You know, if you well, just well, had okay, I would only well due to the fact that I I have seen and heard him just groove but more importantly it's recognizable Mm -hmm. each note that he's playing is right is identifiable you know that's Jocko exactly so I think that's part of what makes him great aside from all of the amazing chops but but you do know at the same time though that bass players that try to transcribe him only transcribe transcribe his chops ah yeah. They don't go, they don't go to the stuff that you're talking about. Right. And I think that's just as important. Like like yo, if you're going to get the dessert, get the meat and potatoes too. Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, so yeah. um I think Jocko was absolutely amazing, you know, um but when Marcus Miller played Teen Town, I enjoyed that just as much and I enjoyed it because he made it his. Right. You know? So That's a those are good answers and good points, man. Dude, I appreciate you so much for hanging. Um, you have your own band too, right? Yes, man. My band is Legally Blind, um, spelled B-L-Y-N-D, with um, my brother, who's our guitar player, Lee Singer, and has written like 99.99.99% of the songs. Uh, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Chris, Chris Johnson is our drummer. Uh, me and Chris have done Rihanna together, Maya, Mary, Mary. You know, we work together a lot, but he also plays with Lady Gaga. And, oh, cool. Um, and then our guitar player, Errol, another like really close friend of mine, like my brother, he plays with Stevie Wonder. Um, he do, he um, does Janet with me. Oh, cool. That guitar player. And um, Carl Wheeler, our organist, he does, you know, Frankie Beverly Amaze. He, he's, he's responsible for the sound of Tony, Tony, Tony. Ah. Like he wrote a lot of that stuff, you know? Wow. So, so literally it's, it's like an all-star band. Very cool. You know, Where can, um, is it out? Can people get it? Yeah. Um, matter of fact, our last project is called You, like Y-O-U. And that's on iTunes. That's um, CD Baby. Okay. Yeah, so you can definitely find that music. But um, we're definitely due for a new project because it's, it's kind of old at this point. But um, uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys do. What about social media? Where can people find you? Pick, everything is pick funk. P-I-K-F-U-N-K. That's what I was going to ask you. Sorry to interrupt okay. once again. Okay. Why do people call you that? Because I used to play with a pick. I was playing funk music 
with a pick. Like when when, a, when most people was doing this, yeah, I had the pick, and it's like it's a whole different vibe. And so, um, somebody just started calling me that. Like I didn't, I just started calling myself. It's like pick funk. I was like, that kind of has a range. I was like, yo, bro, because <laughs> you don't went out around here playing funk with a pick. Nice. So. Um, I kind of figured that, but then, you know, I didn't want to assume. Right. So, um, like growing up playing quartet music. So I'm sure you probably heard of the Mighty Clouds of Joy. Uh, No, actually. Okay. So I'm sure you've heard of them at some point in your life. You know, I mean, if you've heard gospel at all, Mighty Clouds of Joy were like the staple for quartet music. So their their bass player, Richard Wallace, he played with a thumb pick. And, And so there was this one song that it's like he literally hit the D string three times in a row, like open D, like, but he's playing a line on top of it. Like, but it's like, and it was this whole thing. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. And so, uh, so just like, for the people that can't watch it, mm-hmm. explain what you're doing right now with your hand. Okay, it's like it's down, it's down, down with the thumb, up with the index. The entire, the entire groove is like you know, is so. First, I'm trying to play it like this, but oh, like with the one-two finger. But doing that is hard to let the D string ring. You know right. what I mean? So yeah. I was just like trying to figure out like how, like how did he do it? So like, so I just start going down with the pick and just letting that D ring. But every all the um, fancy stuff was on the up on the G string, and so then I was like, okay, let me um, we try to figure out some some other bass lines. So like even um, or oh, something else I, I learned how to play with the um with the pick. So just say like um, oh, what is hip? Oh, Rocco. Yeah. So I started. I learned that with the pick. So instead so, of doing it, so like everything was was um with the pick, and so it sounded like really staccato. Yeah. But at the same time, I was cheating. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Definitely cheating. But did it but, sound good? Did it feel good? Absolutely. Okay. You good. know, I mean, Who's people a, just like you learned it verbatim. So yeah. Who uh is it? Bobby Vega that rocks a pick funk. Yeah. Funk stuff with the pick. Yeah. He's, He's another Bay Area guy, right? Yep, as an absolute monster. Yeah. By the way, yeah, that like his technique is is out of here though. Like, <laughs> yeah, like if you if you watch the way he approaches, like it's it's really really ridiculous. Yeah, he's a bad dude. Yeah, he is, man. Dude, thank you so much again. Uh, thank I you, hope man. You and I get to hang and uh, at some point play some bass together, whatever. Just drink some hey, coffee, man, all that. Man, man, you are not you are not about to um, make me retire. <laughs> you know, like man, this kid. I know about you, suicidal Tennessee guy. Oh, cheers, yeah. man. Cheers. I know, you know, monster in your own right, man. So I'm honored to, you know, meet you and talk to you and hang, man. It's great. Oh, the, the honor is all mine, man. I appreciate you. That is our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Stay healthy and kind. Spread love, good vibes, and inspiration. And remember, you got this. Follow your path and just play. I'm Josh Paul. I hope to see you all out there sometime soon. And uh, thank you to Dunlop again for making the show possible. And uh, be sure to check out Bass Freaks wherever you get your podcasts.